Hello and welcome to Future Thinking. I'm your host, Chris Slowly, the editor of CityWire Selector. If ESG is the three-letter topic of the moment, then AI has no challenge for the two-letter crown. The growth and development of AI in the wider world has come on leaps and bounds in recent years, but where will it go next and what's its natural end? We welcome Nick Williams, an analyst on the Polar Automation and Artificial Intelligence Fund, to share his insights into what is really going on. From the limits of the technology to what elements generalist investors might not understand, we attempt to lift the lid on a topic that is going to become more and more prominent. As always, if you have any questions, queries or suggestions for guests, then contact me, Chris Slowly, and I'll use predictive text or neural languaging processing to get back to you. Hello, I'm Chris Slowly, the editor of CityWire Selector. Welcome to another episode of Future Thinking. Today, I'm joined by Nick Williams, an analyst on the Polar Automation and AI Fund. Thank you for joining me, Nick. Hi, Chris. Thank you very much for having me. Pleasure to be here. So as the fund suggests, we're talking about AI and automation, which are two big topics or one big combined topic. I suppose we'll get into that as we discuss that has huge implications, not only for the world of asset management, but for the world around us. Without starting with too big a question, I mean, we're speaking with what we are hopefully moving towards the end of the pandemic with some sort of glimmers of hope at the end of that. The British Medical Journal suggested that advances in AI and automation could be hugely helpful after we go beyond the pandemic because we would have got used to lesser human contact. However, there could be negative impacts on labour. So without starting with a huge question, Nick, what are the positives and developments you've seen here over the last year? And also, are there challenges that have come out as well? Yeah, I, definitely. It's, you know, it's a very interesting place to, to start. And I think 2020 was probably the year that AI came of age in the wider world. You know, we've seen rapid developments, and in fact, the the pace of that development in AI has been increasing. But we've seen little deployment beyond the traditional technology universe in the past, and and now we're starting to see adoption take off in the wider sphere of, of business and society. And this kind of makes sense because historically technology adoption has been driven um, and has been greatest in the wake of economic disruptions. So on, on the way down and in early economic recoveries, businesses and employers have had to try and do more with less. You know, having cut or in the process of cutting expensive manual labor. So economic shock acts as a catalyst for, for the maximization of productivity. Um, and efficiency. And, and this is what we've seen, albeit in a slightly different sense and with a different stimulus in healthcare. So healthcare systems came under strain because of patient numbers from COVID. And that was exacerbated by social distancing, lower human contact, as you say. And against this backdrop, we've seen the same rapid advancement and deployment of technology. Um, that we have done in the past. So I, I would say that uh, healthcare is is one of the areas that we are most bullish on for the potential of AI. And what other jobs or professions do you think are are also, sorry to interrupt, what other, what other jobs or professions are open to being disrupted? I mean, we're speaking of this as, as a writer of asset management and, and somebody working within asset management. Is that at the forefront of disruption or are there other areas that are more primed as a result of COVID or even just generally? I think when we, uh, you know, when we look across the job spectrum, 
there are plenty of jobs that we see as having the potential to be impacted by AI. Um, one of the current focuses of AI is on increasing the productivity per worker, so increasing output or efficiency, um, especially rather than kind of complete displacement. So we hear the term capsule deepening from AI implementation. What this really translates as is human augmentation. So relieving humans of highly repeatable jobs, such as data entry, you know, that are prone to errors and freeing up workers to do the jobs that, you know, we're good at and machines have a much harder time replacing us um, at. So, you know, it, it could be, you know, consider a salesperson, um, you know, who might spend 40% of their time selling or, uh, and 60% of their time filling out, you know, their CRM systems, or, you know, back office systems, or a nurse who can care for their patient 40% of the time versus 60% of the time they're having to note down all the vital signs and log them into systems. If an algorithm can do even part of that job for them, it's, either time-saving or it's more accurate or realistically it's it's probably both with AI and that's where you get the maximum benefit to society. The conversation seems to always focus on the, the damaging relationship of more machines equals less humans but from what you're saying is that they are there is a fundamental complementary element to them where one can pick up the slack of the other where the soft skills of the human cannot be replaced whereas those more routine mundane elements can be done more efficiently if I've understood correctly. Yeah, yeah. I, well, I think it's, um, you know, it's a, it's a very interesting one. Um, there have been lots of studies of, if you like, who is most at risk from AI. And there are plenty of conflicting opinions, un unsurprisingly. But the, the consensus that is kind of starting to develop, and we've yet to see this play out at, at any scale, but the consensus is that while maybe lower wage workers were considered most at risk from robot displacement, now we're looking at an environment where middle wage jobs are more at risk from artificial intelligence. So it's maybe against that, that backdrop that we're considering this, but as I say, we're, we're still you know, considering much more um, human augmentation as the main use for AI and improving the output rather than displacing workers. Coming on to, I guess, the, you know, the, the part of the, uh, the question that you you were going to reference which is you know the conversation about do you know more machines more ai does it does that directly correlate with fewer human workers and and how do we tackle that and the reality is it's, it's a really interesting topic that you know we could debate for hours and, and there are plenty of um you know very long papers out there and very thoughtful studies on it but I think it's it's quite interesting to look at the historical precedent um, for, for a bit of guidance. And the reality is his, history is littered with incorrect predictions about how much technological disruption is going to make swathes of jobs obsolete. And in reality, what we've seen with tech advancement and adoption in the past is that, yes, there is some short term job loss. But rarely do these people you know, drop out of the employment market permanently. And so you get more of this, um, a job adaptation, if you like, in, in the market. 
um, where workers are re-employed and reinstated and so there's a change in the nature and longer term you can actually have an environment and this is what we've seen in the past is where technology is expansionary and brings productivity increases and a growing economy and better employment so actually technology adoption drives extra jobs and so it is easy to to focus on job loss and it's something that society you know does need to be very conscious of but i th also think if we consider that pre-pandemic we were at record employment levels despite kind of a perpetual tech advancement i think we we would expect the job market to continue to show change rather than significant job loss i think where this gets you know maybe more interesting maybe the more pertinent question is how this affects job recoveries after downturns in in the short term so as i said in in the in the wake of economic shock you get uh, accelerated tech adoption at the expense of, of human labor so if we're on the verge of a of a leap forward in tech because of ai does that change how job recoveries look in the future it's slightly hypothetical um we certainly haven't seen anything suggesting so yet, but it's, it's plausible. But outside of economic slumps, human hiring has has always come through and been strong, kind of regardless of of tech adoption and development. And often it's because of that. I've read in preparation for this, I read that there's an argument that the emerging world has a lower base to start from, but it could accelerate quicker, as we've seen with areas such as China adopting more automated working. But then you have got a huge number of the top AI and automation companies are US based. So how much of this falls along developed and emerging market lines? Yeah, I, th I think that's, um, you know, the points you make are, are very pertinent, very true that there is a, I think maybe there are two ways to look at this. And to look at the, the enablers side and the application side. So on the enabler side, this would be the semiconductor side if you like the the power um artificial intelligence um tsmc and samsung are, are two of the most advanced semiconductor companies on, on the planet and they're you know based in taiwan and, and korea and they are you know leading the us we've heard a lot recently about the struggles of uh, of intel in the us to kind of keep up with them so on that side, you know, it, it's harder to split it into emerging and developed markets. Um, I think, as well, given the uh, the shortages of semiconductors that we've seen recently, uh, you know, global economies want to be less reliant on those localized centers. And so, although there will be leaders and laggards, and we expect the leaders, you know, as they are, to remain at the cutting edge, you know, we might see capabilities build up elsewhere to support that and i think that's that's going to be true on the the application side as well and as you say you know the us and china are are probably the two undisputed ai leaders now they've built up a huge amount of expertise and they have these centers of excellence if you like to continue the teaching the learning the development so if you consider the traditional emerging and developed markets in a digital sense, I think the, the definitions are a little bit stale. Um, we're also seeing, you know, really 
advanced usage of AI in Latin America, for example. You know, they're, they're building up their e-commerce and their banking and their payments infrastructure in a very different way that, you know, developed markets have in place from, you know, the legacy systems. And they are using payments platforms and apps to connect people that historically haven't had bank accounts. And so these are coming from, as you, as you say, you know, a, very, a much less developed base than Europe and the US. And AI has a huge potential to, I guess, uh, accelerate um, them getting there. And, and I think of it as a, as a way that emerging markets can use AI to, if you like, leapfrog some of the infrastructure gaps that may exist. And, you know, over time, effectively climb the, climb the ladder two rungs at a time, maybe. I think this feeds into what I was going to use as the, the closing question, which was if we were to have this conversation in 10 years' time, how much would the story have progressed? And it seems like there are many, many trains in motion at the moment. And it seems like you said the Latin America example is particularly interesting because that's an area that I hadn't noticed. But now you're talking about it. When I speak to emerging market managers, they talk about Mercado Libre's developments there to really corner the market in various different ways. If we were to chat in 10 years, do you, how much do you think this would still how much do you think this would be US China plus LATAM or do you think there would be more of a democratization of it where do you think we're heading the the eternal question um yeah. the tech, the tech predictions 10 years out I mean I think the um <laughs> the, the old adage of of making tech predictions uh you know you can be out by a factor of 10 one way or the other you've just got to be on on the right side of it yeah it's it, I don't think the world will look unrecognizable from, from where it is today. I think those um, companies and those countries that are leading the development at the minute, you know, will, will still be the leading players in, in, in 10 years time. Um, purely because it's such a big industry, you know, there is, there is so much that AI can, um, can build on and develop and contribute. So, everybody is still running into into white space and i think those that have built up the capabilities now um and are kind of running hardest that there's no reason that they will slow down but we have also seen the understanding the realization from governments that you know this is important and we firmly believe that this can be the you know the transformational technology of our time so i i think that there will certainly be, um, you know, huge developments across the globe. With that, with the way the world is going, where at the moment are there impressive real-world examples that we could perhaps get our heads around? Well, I think the uh, one of the topics we touched on earlier, actually, healthcare, um, is is somewhere that we are seeing huge developments, uh, and the the pace of development is is picking up hugely. And you know, this part of this has been has been COVID driven. Um, you know, if we look at how healthcare systems have reacted um, to COVID and how they've had to react, there have been some really interesting examples pop up um, and that have been deployed very very quickly. So, for example, the the Royal Bolton Hospital um, they used an AI tool to help 
triage patients as they were coming in, detecting COVID-induced pneumonia. And we saw this in China as well. There was a Chinese system that was doing the same thing uh, and had been trained on CT scan data from actual COVID patients. And both of these solutions were able to be rolled out very quickly. You know, we are now hopefully coming out of the, the worst of the situation, but it's proved the power of AI in healthcare. And we are now, you know, given that there has been the, uh, the growth in uh, and the expansion of, of acceptance of AI in healthcare, um, you know, attention is turning to where AI can contribute to healthcare in a post-COVID world. And, you know, we, we're hearing more about long waiting lists and how we tackle the, the backlog of care that has been building up. And the University of Birmingham hospitals um, have already shown some great success in bringing down their waiting lists for skin cancer assessments using AI. So, it, you know, this, it's a really, really exciting um, sector that is just, you know, just getting going, really. Uh, and I think we've only just scratched the surface or, or, on what AI in, in healthcare in particular can do. As a final question, Nick, uh, as a practitioner in the field, I mean, in terms of guidance and information or even books, what, what do you read and what would you recommend to people? What, what do you think people should know about AI and automation? Yeah, that, I mean, this is a it's a very fast moving technology and industry, and there are plenty of pulses to keep your fingers on. I, you know, everything from academic papers, um, as has been the case with the development of um, natural language processing, which is a you know an area that has seen you know a, a huge explosion in academic papers, and we're seeing a lot of thought leaders in the space as well write some very interesting papers or a lot of which are just available freely on the internet you're also getting really good information actually out of those companies that are considered the leaders you know in, in the space um deep mind for example which was a uk business that google bought um on their website you know as part of google google obviously a very big user of ai they are you know, putting out some very interesting case studies on where and how they've used AI, um, you know, what's gone well, what hasn't. And so we're seeing it from, you know, those companies that are, that are doing this, you know, in the real world, those companies that are rolling out AI in new applications, you know, areas like finance, areas like logistics. We're getting a lot of kind of real-time feedback on how these deployments and developments are going. Uh, as well as you know the companies that are actually doing the you know the development of this the the chip makers um you know your tsmcs your nvidias as, as we talk about so there is a lot of traditional and non-traditional research out there um and it's about kind of knitting it together but lots of it is is um very readily available uh, it's just just a case of trying to get through it all yeah fantastic well thank you very much nick thank you for speaking to me today Thank you, Chris. Thank you for having me.